Good evening, everybody. It's great to see you here tonight. Thank you so much for joining us here on campus Wednesday night here at Grace Church of Central for our midweek Bible study. And for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we would like to say a hearty welcome to you as well. We appreciate you tuning in wherever you are. I want to make uh, just one announcement before we get into our Bible study this evening. But before we do, just turn to your favorite neighbor, look him right in the eye, and tell him you look so good. Well done. Well done. So we do want to remind you that um, this coming Saturday, the 30th, we will have a Move the Mission chicken spaghetti dinner available. Uh, you might have already been asked to order by some of our young people, but if not, there's still opportunity for you to do that. But the dinner will include um, chicken spaghetti, green beans, roll, and peach cobbler. That's a win, and that's $10 per dinner. So all of the proceeds uh, for that, of course, will go to Move the Mission, and you can sign up if you haven't already purchased. You can sign up in Grand Central, so please keep that in mind. Amen. We're going to uh, just go ahead and get right into our study tonight. Um, I've, got, uh, I've got a lot to say, but I want to be conscious of your time. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get into the Word, but before we do... Uh, let's stand this evening, and we are going to pray over our ability to listen and to learn and to apply this evening, and um, just pray that the Lord will open our hearts. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much that we can gather here this evening with brothers and sisters and open your word and be instructed by your word. Lord, I pray that you would let the concepts and the precepts of your word get into not just our mind, but into our heart, into our spirit, where it can do the good work of transformation, the good work of helping us to get better, the good work of helping us to grow as disciples. So let your word get into us tonight. Lord, open our ears, open our hearts for understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this evening. You can be seated going to read a couple of scriptures before we get into our study, and uh, this evening I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I'm not opposed to the King James. Uh, I know that there are some that, are, that have very strong feelings, and I believe that the King James is an authoritative uh, translation, and uh, we should always go there whenever we are going deep into study, but sometimes I like to look at different translations simply for readability. And this evening, I'm going to read from uh, the New Living Translation for our scripture text, and then uh, the rest of the, the evening, we'll be looking at the NIV. Um, so first of all, let's go to Romans chapter 8, and we'll read verses 14 through 16 in the New Living Translation. And it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Everybody say children. That's good. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Everybody say slaves. Okay. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he did what? When he adopted you as his own children. So Paul says, so now we call him Abba Father. 
For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Abba, Abba Father. Abba, that's a, that's a transliteration from Aramaic into Greek. And what that means is there's not a real word in the Greek language that conveys what its true meaning is in Aramaic. So what Paul does is he uses two words. He uses the words Abba and Father. The word Abba is a term of endearment. It's daddy. It's papa. And then he also uses the word father. And he does that to express this strong, vehement affection and the freedom and liberty that belong to children who have a daddy, who have a papa like Almighty God. So now let's go to John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18, also in the New Living Translation. Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. In the King James, it says comforter, who will never leave you. And that comforter is the Holy Spirit. That advocate is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Jesus is talking to them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 18. He says, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. I want to give credit before we launch tonight to John P. Voiles and Jack Frost, both of them for their excellent books. One was uh, by Voiles was Homecoming, Unmasking the Orphan Spirit. And then Frost wrote a book called Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonship. And they are the, the seed works, the seminal works for the study tonight. I don't know if y'all have noticed it might have escaped your attention. And if, if so, that's completely okay. It, it doesn't offend me. But I have been or tried to be very intentional whenever I've opened service on Wednesday nights or taught on Wednesday nights or taught on Sunday mornings over the past couple of months. I've tried to be very intentional in talking about connection and family and community and being a part of the body. Y'all, we need that right now. We do. We, we need that. We need each other. And so I was really uh, glad to just uh, to see the excitement over in the A Center after church this past Sunday. There was such a buzz there, uh, great energy as people were signing up for the different uh, connect groups that are going to be offered. It was just it was a phenomenal thing to see. Anything that will foster more connection and more community is a great thing. What we're going to get into in our Bible study tonight is one of the greatest enemies to that connection and community that we all need. So we're going to spend some, some time tonight digging into a weighty topic of breaking the influence of the orphan spirit. Breaking the influence of the orphan spirit. And that's heavy stuff. Won't be a lot of jokes tonight, uh, won't be a lot of funny stories tonight, but even though it's heavy, I want you guys to understand this, this is a redemptive lesson, and it can be very restorative if you will receive it. 
And my remarks tonight will not directly apply to every person in this room. Uh, some of you here tonight, you do not struggle at all with an orphan spirit. And I'm going to define what I mean by an orphan spirit in just a moment. So maybe you won't hear anything from me tonight in this study that will help you personally in dealing with your own orphan spirit because you don't have one. And that's a good thing. We can say thank you, Jesus, if that's the case. Some of you tonight, you do. You do have an orphan spirit. And as I go through this study tonight, it might, be, um, it might make you feel a little vulnerable and a little exposed. And that's okay because we've got to get there before we can deal with it. But even if what I say to you tonight doesn't apply to you directly, I promise you this. It applies to at least one person in your life that you are close to because the orphan spirit is everywhere, even in our church circles. And so tonight's study will give you some wisdom and perspective in dealing with that person who does have an orphan spirit. So let's launch. Uh, I, I feel like I need to make an important distinction here at the beginning, and that is a distinction between the orphan heart and the orphan spirit. So the two things are different. It, it's a, it comes down to this. All of us are born with an orphan heart. Every one of us. We were all born with an orphan heart. There's nothing that we can do to escape it. It is ours by function of a hereditary deficiency that is passed down to us from Adam and Eve. In Romans 5 and 12, it says, Just as sin entered the world through one man, Paul's talking about Adam, and death through that sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. Genesis 8 and 21 says, For the imagination of a man's heart is evil from his youth. Psalm 51 and 5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I'm taking a little time to build a case with Scripture because I really want you to see, as we get into the study this evening, just what was lost in the garden. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve enjoyed this incredibly intimate relationship with Papa. We don't have a lot of details about it, but we know that God would come and walk with them in the cool of the evening. They were so close to Daddy. It, it was a relationship that we can't fully grasp, I don't think, because it was a relationship that was completely untouched, untainted, and uncorrupted by sin or guilt or uncertainty. It was a pure relationship. It was a spotless and unblemished relationship. Adam and Eve, prior to the fall, they were without shame. They were without worry. They were totally free. They lived without fear. They were completely liberated in their connection and in their communication with Daddy. I want y'all to think about that for just a minute. There was no baggage in the relationship. No issues. No concerns. No worries. They were free 
Adam and Eve were free to enjoy Almighty God just like a small child enjoys his daddy or his mama. But then sin entered the picture. And now there's a separation from that intimate relationship that they had with Abba Father. Now guilt and anxiety and uncertainty and worry and fear enter the picture. And just like our forebears, our sinful nature makes the orphan heart a part of us from birth. It's just in us. But what does that really mean, Jason? What does it mean, you say I've got an orphan heart, but what does that look like in day-to-day life? Well, Scripture tells us in Genesis 6 and 5, describing what it was like in Noah's day, it says, Moreover, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination and thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. That's what it means to have an orphan heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Mark chapter 7, verses 16 and then 20 through 23. Jesus said, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. In addition, he said, that which cometh out of the man defiles the man. For from within, watch this, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. They come from the heart and they defile the man. The orphan heart is rebellious. It doesn't want anything to do with authority. It doesn't want anything to do with submission. The orphan heart is untrusting. It does not want to risk the potential injury that comes with putting hope in anything or anyone. It's rebellious. It's untrusting. And the orphan heart is ignorant. The orphan heart does not understand the ways and the motives of the father. But, and here's the good news, the orphan heart that all of us are born with is reconciled, reborn at our birth into the kingdom of God. Calvary, the blood of Jesus, the new life that comes to us through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, those things give us a new heart. Doesn't work on the old one. That's not what the scripture says. Scripture says we get a new heart. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the prophecy says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away that stony heart from out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. In the New Living Translation, it says this, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and give you a tender and responsive heart. It's not the old, rebellious, untrusting, ignorant, orphan heart anymore. It's a new heart. It's the heart of a child who knows, loves, and trusts daddy. 
So while all of us in this room tonight were born with an orphan's heart due to our sinful nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve, we all have the opportunity to be regenerated and become a new creature whenever we enter into relationship with Jesus. But the orphan heart that there is a cure for whenever we come to Jesus, the orphan heart is different from the orphan spirit. Even though we have been redeemed from our sinful orphan heart, folks, some of us living in daddy's house with daddy's people, even though we are a part of Papa's family, some of us still struggle with an orphan spirit. Even though we are born again, blood-washed, baptized, spirit-filled children of God, some of us still carry a spirit. What do you mean by a spirit, Jason? I mean an attitude, a mindset, a belief system a perspective, a worldview of an orphan. I'm going to take a little bit of time to develop this, but it's necessary because I want you to recognize what it looks like whenever that mindset, attitude, perspective, that framework of the orphan is at work in someone's life. And maybe it's at work in your life. And some of these are going to make you uncomfortable because it's reading your mail. Maybe you're going to recognize that these things are at work in the life of someone close to you. But this is what it, it looks like. The orphan spirit is characterized by several attributes. A constant, hard-to-shake suspicion that you will be rejected at some point and probably wind up abandoned. A deep belief that you are the only one you can really trust because ultimately you are completely on your own. An automatic mistrust of people in leadership. Insecurity regarding your own worth as an individual. This gnawing sense of insecurity about relationships. They say they like me, do they really? They say they love me, but do they really? A constant feeling that it is only a matter of time before you will be rejected. A need to protect yourself when getting close in relationships. Or the basic instinct to flee from close relationships. Someone that struggles with the earth and spirit feels a need to constantly make exit plans. Whenever this relationship doesn't work out, and to daydream about plan B because I know plan A is going to fail. The need to fight because others don't really have your best interest in mind. The need to reject others before they reject you. The default setting of no one's going to tell me what to do, followed by the prevailing mindset of I already knew that, oh yeah, I already knew that too. The deep-seated belief that you are the only one that you can depend on. A need for recognition that causes you to respond out of proportion, way out of proportion, when you are unintentionally not noticed or you don't feel appreciated. The 
person struggling with the orphan spirit or living with an orphan spirit carries a suspicion that disagreements and corrections or constructive feedback from others are really just masked examples of disrespect, dismissal, or rejection. Someone living with an orphan spirit feels like they are constantly being hurt or offended by the mistreatment of others, and they are consistently uncomfortable in the presence of an anointed father. That's what it looks like when you live with an orphan spirit. One of the most telling characteristics of the orphan spirit is that someone who lives with an orphan spirit lives with a striving mentality. One with the orphan spirit feels like they have to strive, they have to work, they have to labor for acceptance, relationship, and belonging. If you feel like you always have to work to justify your place at the table in God's kingdom, then you are probably living with an orphan spirit. Striving, laboring, pressure to produce. You're only as good as the last thing you did. That's what a spiritual orphan does. Listen to this. The fatherless orphan has to take on the responsibilities of a father in order to survive. He or she feels responsible for their own provision. So that means worry enters into the picture because the orphan is acutely aware of how fragile his ability is to provide for his own needs. They feel responsible for their own provision. The spiritual orphan feels responsible for her own protection. So fear becomes a part of the daily experience because the orphan is acutely aware of how dangerous this world can be and their own inadequacies of protecting themselves. So they feel responsible for their own provision. They feel responsible for their own protection, and they also feel responsible for their own promotion or their own significance or their own value. So pride and selfish ambition enter into the picture and become a part of their daily life because the orphan realizes how little he or she can actually do. The child of God who lives with an orphan spirit is driven by needs. Provision, protection, promotion. Driven by those needs. Because I have to work for them myself because they are not mine if I don't work for it. And so therefore, because they are driven by needs, he or she lives a substandard, crippled, frustrated, and unfulfilling spiritual life. I told you it was going to be heavy. Spiritual cripples. That's how someone with the orphan spirit lives. Working, striving, trying, producing, but crippled the entire time by worry, fear, and selfish ambition every step of the way. Living as a spiritual orphan 
living as a child who does not have a spiritual home, living as a child who does not have a spiritual father, living as a spiritual orphan, you will come to see every person, even your closest loved ones, in unhealthy, dysfunctional ways. I'll give you some examples, or give you one really great example. I don't think anyone in Scripture illustrates this crippling mindset of the orphan spirit better than the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Now, most here tonight are probably pretty familiar with the story. It comes to us in Luke chapter 15. But just in case, there was a son who went to his father and said, I want you to give me my inheritance now, not whenever you die. The father complied. He went to a foreign country, wasted all of his inheritance, found himself living in a terrible situation, and said, you know what? I'm going to go back to my father's house and tell him, just take me on as a hired servant. And so he does that. He goes back to his father. The father goes to him, accepts him. Absolutely not. You're not coming back to me as a servant. Bring the ring, put it on his finger, kill the fatted calf. We're throwing a party. My son, who was lost, has come home. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And let me draw your attention to the reaction of the elder brother. Verse 25, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music, dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Well, your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry. And he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, Dad, all of these years I have, look at the language, I have slaved for you. And never once did I refuse to do a single thing you told me to do. I've been a good worker. And in all of that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. The elder brother is gripped by the spirit of an orphan. Watch me here. He's gripped by the spirit of the orphan and he never left the father's house. He's living in daddy's home, yet he is living with the spirit of an orphan. He stayed with the father, y'all. He remained faithful. He didn't squander anything. He didn't waste anything. He didn't serve his own flesh like that younger brother. There was no scandal attached to him. He did everything right. He was a good, faithful Pentecostal, y'all. But he didn't want to party with the family. 
He had to work. Not even when daddy goes out with a personal invitation. Son, come in. Come on, man, leave that. Leave that. What you're doing, leave that. Come be a part of the joy. Come be a part of the celebration. Come be a part of my family. Rejoice with me. Rejoice with us. No, no. He had to work. His words to the father reveal his orphan spirit so clearly. His relationship to the father is based on work, based on performance, it's based on deeds, based on duty, not love, not relationship, but his insecurity and his fear and his need for position, protection, and promotion wasn't based on his position as a son. It was based on his performance as an employee. I have slaved for you faithfully. Never asked you for a thing. He was an employee. And all that time, you never gave me not even a young goat. The elder son's idea of pleasing the father, somebody please listen to me. The elder son's idea of pleasing the father was to work for approval. To labor for acceptance. This is an exchange of goods. A contract. It's a business deal. His place, his position, those things were only secure if he was working. And here's the father, daddy, papa, inviting him to a party with joy and happiness and relationship and intimacy and fulfillment and nourishment. Why? Was he inviting him in because he was a loyal worker? Was he inviting him into happiness and relationship because he was cheap labor? Because he had met his quota for the week or the month or the year? Met his target on his yearly performance review? No. The father wanted him to be a part of this joyful celebration because of his position as a son. The elder son made the case that his value to daddy was based on his servanthood, his performance, his work, his accomplishments, all that. But the father wanted intimacy and gave him value because of his sonship. Not servanthood, Grace Church. Not servanthood, sonship. So what the elder son was trying to earn was already his by nature of birth. It's one of the greatest tragedies of this exchange. He's laboring so hard to have something that's already his. 
But he was thinking and living and striving and laboring like someone who didn't have a father. Like an orphan, not like a son. See, and here's the deal. The orphan cannot accept the love of the father. He can't trust daddy's love or she. She can't trust. She can't trust. She can't trust daddy's love. The father can't love me because, fill in the blank, because of what I did, because of who I've always been, because of that failure that I made, because I haven't measured up to this. Just fill in the blank. The father can't love me because. So the orphan plans out what he or she has to do and what they have to say and how they have to act or perform and what he has to produce in order to bargain with God into being accepted. As I said before, this is like a business deal. Instead of a son to a father. Here you are, son of the father, and an extravagantly loving and kind and gracious father at that, who cares deeply for his children. He, listen to this in the story. He went out to meet both sons. The story that Jesus tells, the father went out to meet the prodigal whenever he returned, and he went out to meet the elder son too. You are in his house every day, and all you desire is to work, to strive, to labor. Your relationship with him is tied to your work in the field. What you do for him, keeping his commandments, not transgressing, refusing to participate in the party, because somebody's got to get the work done. You have to do the work or it won't get done. And if the work doesn't get done, the father won't be happy and won't accept you. So nose to the grindstone day in and day out. Grace Church, the father doesn't want an employee. I appreciate everything that you do. I know pastor does too. But he wants, God wants a son. He wants a daughter. Jesus isn't looking for employee of the month. He wants to spend time with his children. He wants to provide for his kid. He wants to protect his kid. He wants to promote his kid. So Jason, how do we break it? How do we break the influence of the orphan spirit if, if I recognize that, that that mindset and attitude is working in my life and that it's crippling me in some ways, how do I break that? Ultimately, you have to do the very thing the orphan spirit does not want to do. Trust. 
Well, Jason, that's not right. You, you, you're telling me that the one thing that will break the orphan spirit is the one thing that the orphan spirit doesn't want to. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. I didn't make the rules. It's kind of like exercising. You don't want to move. What do you need to do? Move. You got to move. It's a paradox, I suppose. To break the orphan spirit, you have to do what the orphan almost can't do, which is trust. So maybe this will help. In the parable of the prodigal, the father had two sons. And we've already seen the orphan spirit at work in the elder son, but it was also at work in the younger. Because he went to the father and he said, look, I've done my time. Give me what I've got coming to me. Let me go make my own way. Because I don't know that I can fully trust you to give me what's mine later on down the road. So let me have it now and I'll just take care of myself after that. And the influence of the orphan spirit ruined him. We know that story. Spends it all riotous living. Covered in mud. Covered in the stink. Working in the pig pens. So how did he break it? How did the, how did the younger brother, the prodigal, how did he come out of it? How did he embrace the spirit of a son instead of that of an orphan? How did the younger son break the influence of the orphan spirit? Well, the, one of the biggest steps he made comes in verse 17 of that chapter in Luke. It says he came to himself. Man, I wish I've had more come to myself moments in my life. I've had a few, but I wish I would have had a few more. Because he realized after he had spent all, after he was completely drained of everything else, he had this moment of clarity and realization. He says he came to himself and he realized, you know what? I was better off in daddy's house after all. Dad, dad really did know what he was talking about. Dad really did know exactly what he was doing. What daddy can provide is far better than what I can provide in this moment. The protection and care that comes from being close to daddy far exceeds what I can do on my own. Now, daddy still had to adjust his thinking whenever he came home. Because the, the prodigal thought that he was going back to be a servant. I'll just go back and be a servant. I'll just go back and work for him. That's where my value will be. That's how I'll, how I'll get dad to accept me. I've messed up so bad. I've been such a disappointment. Dad, just let me come work for you. You don't have to love me. You don't have to accept me as a son. Just let me come work for you. Let me come work in your house. But daddy's not interested in having a working relationship with his sons or his daughters. His boys and girls aren't valuable to him based on what they do or based on their performance. Look, <laughs> poor Ethan, Kaylin, Owen, they've been subjected to, to so much cruelty living in our house. And one of the cruelest things I've done to them is make them go out in the yard and pick up sticks. We have uh, an overabundance of pin oak trees on our property, and they are constantly dropping sticks. Uh, to the point that at one point in time, I even joked with them that I was going to make a workout video called Stick. And I, it was going to feature all three of my children and how they squat, bend, twist, lift, and all of that stuff is going to be the latest workout rage. Of, and they were going to be my, my fitness models. They've picked up 
countless cubic yards of sticks over the years. And I appreciate their help because that means I haven't had to do it all on my own. But they're not valuable to me because they can pick up a yard of sticks. They're not valuable to me because they can do the dishes when asked. They're not valuable to me because they can do any other chore. And I appreciate it when they do. But they have value to me because of who they are. They're my kids. And Almighty God looks at every one of you the exact same way. I love what you do. I appreciate what you do. Some of it you do, and I, I haven't even asked you to do it, and you do it so well. You're gifted. You're talented. But that's not where your value is to me. You don't have to work to earn your place. You're just my kid. And I love you. Come spend time with me. You want to break the influence of the orphan spirit? Here's what needs to happen. First of all, admit it. Just come to grips with the fact that the orphan spirit is working and influencing your life. Maybe not in every aspect. Maybe in some places. Maybe you, maybe the orphan spirit has a death grip on your heart tonight and you needed to hear this. But that's the first step. Just admit it. The second thing that you need to do is identify the areas of your life that's suffering from its influence. Is it your relationship with God? That's been our focus here tonight. But, you know, the orphan spirit could also impact how you interact with your spouse. Orphan spirit could also impact the way that you talk to and train your children. The strained relationship that you have with your brother or your sister or your parents. The difficulty that you have in making and keeping friends. The calling to do things in God's kingdom that hasn't materialized. The funky relationships at work could be the influence of your orphan spirit. So you admit it, identify it. <laughs> this is so practical. I'm, I'm teaching real good right now. The third thing you need to do is pray. You need to pray. You need to pray. You need to pray. You need to pray. Y'all getting it? Admit it. Identify it. You need to pray. Repent. Ultimately, the orphan spirit says that God can't be trusted. Repent of that. 
and ask God to give you strength and wisdom and insight to live like a son and live like a daughter and not just a hired hand. And then pray and ask him to break down the stronghold of the orphan spirit in your life because it didn't come up overnight and it's not going to go away overnight. It's going to take some intentionality on your part. It can be done. And here's the last one. The deepest cure for the orphan spirit is love. Just pure, no strings, absolute, running free love. The kind of love that can only be found in daddy's presence. The kind of love that can only be experienced in connection to God's family. Your brothers and sisters. You know, Romans 8 and 16 says the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Listen to this. One translation says it this way. It says his spirit testifies with us that we are the children of God. Testifies. Paul's using like courtroom terminology there. Like in a courtroom testifies. Only this is the courtroom of our own hearts and minds. His spirit, the Holy Ghost comes up alongside of us and stands with us and testifies, bears witness, stands up in court, in the courtroom of life, and says, this is my kid. You're my child. No, you are not alone. No, you are not an orphan. You're mine. No matter what your orphan spirit says, no matter what your flesh tells you or the devil tells you, you have a daddy. The Spirit does that. John 14, our text from earlier, Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Ghost. And he said, I'm going to ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, another comforter who will never leave you, never abandon you like an orphan. And it's the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth, the truth. Not just doctrine. Doctrine's important. I'm not delineating that at all. But not just doctrine, but the truth of who you are in God as a son and as a daughter, not an orphan. We need to get connected to the Holy Ghost. Let the Spirit come in. And alongside us tonight and testify and bear witness with us to stand in our defense in the courtroom against the orphan spirit. To let the spirit comfort us and be our advocate. It's the only, only way that we're going to break the influence of the orphan spirit. Wish I had a little more time tonight, but you guys are done. I do want us to stand together and pray feel like we would be missing something in this moment to just dismiss and go. If it wasn't for you tonight, I do not apologize. Because as I said earlier, there's at least one person in your life that is living this way. And this will help you and give you wisdom and perspective. It's, this is why they are the way they are. Because they're living as an orphan. If this was you tonight and it hit home, there's freedom. 
There is a way to break the influence of that spirit. And I'm just going to tell you to trust God and get close to him. That is not a platitude. You get close to daddy and let him talk to you. You'll start breaking the influence of that orphan spirit. Let's pray together. Jesus, you know way better than I do who is in this room tonight. I mean, like you really know. I know their faces. I know their names. But you know what's in their heart. Every single day of their lives has been noticed by you. You've been there with them. The ones that are here tonight and are living with an orphan spirit, you've known it. You've known it way before they even put a name to it. The ones here tonight that are living with someone that has an orphan spirit, you know that too. So Jesus, I'm just going to ask that you will help us tonight in this room to deal with the orphan spirit, with wisdom, with spiritual authority. God, to recognize it, to admit it, to identify it, to pray over it, repent from it if it's us, to lead someone if it's somebody that we're close to, to lead them in wisdom. Jesus, as we strive for greater levels of connection, as we strive to create a community where people feel safe and valued, Lord, I pray that you would use this word tonight to guide us in becoming not just closer to you, but closer to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. Be friendly with somebody close to you. And you have a wonderful evening. We will see you Sunday. Shut up!